Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. We need to talk about gender. According to reports in the media, in January 2023, the CPSMA, that's the Catholic Primary Schools Management Association, wrote to the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, to say they were against the teaching of gender issues because what it means to be transgender would require to teach something about which, and I quote, there is neither a scientific nor social consensus to highly impressionable young children. I thought it was funny that a Catholic organisation would argue that we shouldn't teach something because it lacked scientific evidence, given that the entire religion is completely reliant in ignoring scientific evidence. And I put out a tweet saying so. Yes, it was provocative. And yes, it was probably a bit childish. But the reaction to it was nothing short of explosive. And at times aggressive. In this episode, I want to talk about this issue and why it has polarised so many people against each other, so much so that nobody is listening to each other. So if I were the Minister for Education, I'll be telling you how I would be talking about gender. Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please tell all your teacher friends or anyone else interested in primary education about the podcast and leave a review if you've liked it. Well, the Catholic Primary Schools Management Association, or CPSMA, is probably not an organisation you would be familiar with unless you're a school leader. However, it is probably one of the most influential stakeholders in the education system up there with the INTO and the IPPN in terms of their weight when it comes to education matters. It represents the voice of management of roughly 90% of schools. And since COVID-19 came along, it often represents the voices of all patron bodies in the education system, despite the fact they're not a patron body themselves. Whenever there's something to be discussed in education, the the CPSMA often has a seat at the big table, the one where the INTO and the IPPN and some of the other big players sit. While they will admit that most of their work has little to do with Catholicism, especially in the last decade, as principals and their schools are awash with circular after circular after circular, they claim they have little time to invest in the Catholic mission of primary education, which, of course, is their remit. This makes a lot of sense because there's so much being flung at schools over the last decade that there's hardly much time at all for anyone to make statements that blow up in the media. For those of you wondering, well, maybe wait a second, I think I heard of the CPSMA all right. I just can't place it. I'd wager it was probably one in two, one of a couple of places. The one it might be uh, when 
was a time, I, I think it was about seven or eight years ago, when they calculated that schools were receiving an average of only 57% of their running costs. Or maybe you heard about them during the baptism barrier saga, where the CPSMA were defending the prioritisation of Catholic children for enrolment, claiming, it's no big deal, only, you know, only 17 out of 384 schools in South Dublin or in Dublin refused to enrol children on the grounds of the baptism search. Yes, 17 out of 384 schools. And remember, this was a time when many people baptised their children simply to get into their local school. So the picture would be far worse if they hadn't have baptised their children. Yes, there was a time long, long ago, kids, in 2000, up until about 2018, where people who declared themselves atheists would baptise their children simply to get a place in their local school. Yes, 2016, it's, or 2018 even. It's, it's actually kind of hard to believe people did that. I think people still do that a little bit. Uh, we're in 2023 or they say they do it. I think sometimes maybe, maybe I'd agree with something the CPSMA said at the time was that I th that they thought people were exaggerating those facts. And uh, from what I can see a few years later, I don't think baptisms are down that much. However, uh, let's get back to where we were. They were basically saying that it wasn't a big deal and only about 4% of schools were refusing children on the grounds of baptism certs. And, you know, on the other side of that, I always, I, and whenever I hear that quote, I always think of Groucho Marx um, saying that he wouldn't want to belong to any club that would accept him as a member. Anyway, I wish people would take that quote more seriously, but that's probably for another episode. However, their most recent statement really came out of the blue. While there's discourse about gender, and it's been going on for a few years, nothing in particular has changed in the primary education sector in terms of RSE, or sex education um, as you might know it. Having said that, maybe the discussions around second level RSE created a space for the CPSMA to put their boot in the discussion before discussions even begin. I think it's worth reading what we know about, because essentially, despite my best efforts, I can't find the full letter that the CPSMA um, wrote to the minister. So I'm generally relying on newspaper articles which reported on it. And I decided the most reliable of those would be publications that are, I guess, Catholic leaning, if that makes sense. There's no point in um, picking, you know, the middle of the middle of the ground there. Why not go for Catholic newspapers? Um, so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and I'm quoting the journal Gripped, um, which some people might be surprised I'll be doing, because from experience, they tend to support what's known as conservative or Christian values, so as, as they call them. So here are some snippets of the article, um, and I'm not reading them with any judgment, I'm just reading them as they are. Um, here's one. In the letter, the CPSMA said that to teach young children gender ideology might, and here I quote, might add to a growing psychological contagion among young and vulnerable children. It goes on. The group encouraged ministers to instead develop, and here we go, a more prudent and sensible policy of teaching children how to respect every human being. No, I won't say anything. <laughs> the letter cited as lack of scientific consensus on the transgender issue, saying, 
We should not prematurely introduce children to complex and sensitive topics around which there is no scientific or medical consensus. This is the bit I laid my tweet on, actually. This is where I said, hmm, like Catholicism. Um, but anyway, it is sa it's said the proposed curriculum reform would mean teaching what it means to be transgender and would require teaching something about which there is neither a scientific or social consensus to highly impressionable young children. Such a move, they said, would be counterproductive, generating unnecessary division in school communities where none now exists. Okay? I think it's worth delving into those quotes, um, and I will do, and I, I'll refer to them as I go, but I want to, uh, to address immediately one of the retorts I got back when I was teasing the CPMA, CPSMA for basing their argument on science. Um, on more than a few occasions, I was told, oh, you're being very quiet about the Muslim response, Simon. And this was despite me saying that if the Muslims produced the same argument I would have exactly the same response and when the Irish Muslim Council did indeed publish a response in support of the CPSMA you know I also said yes you know this whole science basis thing so I'll save you the bother of reading the whole letter that the Irish Muslim Council uh, produced but it basically said exactly the same thing as the CPSMA Another group that decided to write to all schools was the Irish Education Alliance. Who are they, you might ask? If they sound familiar, this is the same group that wrote to schools a few years ago, telling them that they were breaking the law by forcing children to wear masks in classrooms. They encouraged parents to write to schools to not consent to masks or, more bizarrely, vaccines that we were supposed to be administering to children. I'll read part of their statement because it's very not just very long, it's very, very long, because whatever your thoughts on them, given that they only ever comment on issues that are polarising, and given that many of them are tend to be seen at rallies that might lead you to believe there are other motives, it is important sometimes to listen to what they have to say, because they are, unfortunately, well, or fortunately, I don't know, depending on what, you, what way you look at it, they are successful at what they do. And they titled their email Statement on the Exposure of Children to Inappropriate Gender Ideology. And I'll read the first paragraph. As a body of teachers and childhood professionals, we believe that the safety and welfare of children is of paramount importance. Our responsibility is to protect children and safeguard them from harm. We are increasingly concerned about the exposure of children to inappropriate sexualized material and the promotion of extreme transgender ideology, not just transgender ideology, extreme, in schools and in society. This can cause confusion, psychological trauma and lead to the irreversible life-changing decisions, potentially causing serious harm to vulnerable children and adolescents. Okay, so you can see straight away their language is let's say, strong. They then spent a while talking about second level issues, which I'll skip because this is a primary education podcast. And then they moved to supporting the CPSMA and Muslim Council statements. And they criticised Leo Radkar, Michal Martin and Michael D. Higgins. They then continue with something that is news to me. In fact, primary school children are already being subjected to very confusing transgender ideology from a very young age, which we believe to be utterly inappropriate and extremely confusing. This is their example. The Irish National Teachers Organisation, INTO, LGBT Teachers Group provides teaching resources on the website. These include a video facilitating a social transition, a cartoon intended to demonstrate to teachers how to support young children to transition, changed her gender, just in case you didn't know what that meant. 
in a primary school setting. Now that, that's not accurate, but anyway, I, I'll let it go. In the video, a child called Lucy changes her name to Liam and their teacher explains to the class that the person we have been calling Lucy is really a boy. He affirms the children's suggestions that a girl can become a boy and a boy can become a girl. He goes on to say that he followed up by introducing the class to the term non-binary. The Irish Education Alliance, or, AEA, or IEA as they uh, shorten themselves to, feels strongly that this video is promoting the teaching of extreme ideology to very young children as fact, at the risk of causing them confusion and harm, and it should be taken down immediately. It is utterly inappropriate for a primary school teacher to be enabling the gender transition of such a young child, now come on, uh, as the one depicted in the video. That, that, that isn't actually what's happening in the video. I've seen the video and it's, that's, that's ridiculous. The INTO website contains many other resources supporting the teaching of gender ideology to primary age children, including a PDF of gender diversity teaching resources produced by the transgender organization TENI, T-E-N-I, for those of you who are going to look it up. For no particular reason, then, I mean, I, I, I just to be honest, the less said, the better about that paragraph. I just think, you know, if you're going to be critical, you know, stick to the facts. That's the teacher in that video is not um, enabling the gender transition of a child. You know, that's that's a ridiculous statement. Um, I, I mean, I'm not cross. I'm just, you know, I'm just it just it's annoying. You know, in fairness to the CPSMA, at least they temper their language I'd say but let's move on because for particularly no reason they then move on to criticize the INTO pride flag raising ceremony and they conclude that they shouldn't be involved in it because according to them it's a political movement with controversial ideologies which primary children will not understand and many parents and teachers may disagree with now I don't want to get too sidetracked um, but I think this is where they they lose if they hadn't lost people already this is where they're going to lose people because they're just going off the point. I mean, stick stick to your topic. And um, anyway, they get back on point after that to criticize busybodies, and I'll explain what busybodies is in a while. Uh, but they do really actually now. Busy. This is about the only one of the accurate sentences. Busybodies is a booklet produced by the HSE in conjunction with Healthy Ireland for fifth and sixth class students and their parents. And um, and that's accurate. And it says it states that that we all have a gender identity. Gender identity is how we think ourselves as a boy, a girl, neither or both. So that is accurate. Um, this is another example of transgender ideology being presented to children as fact and before any consultation on its inclusion in the primary curriculum has taken place. Okay, so there's a problem with that sentence here. In It's, it's not part of the primary curriculum. The busybodies booklet isn't in the curriculum. So, you know, it's not right to say that this is part of the curriculum. The letter anyway doesn't end there and it spirals off into all sorts of different tangents and areas. Parental rights to opt out is my personal favourite because they say it'll make children, so this is anyone who, basically they're giving out about opting out because it will make children whose parents opt out feel excluded when they're removed from the classroom. Parents have contacted us stating that already some schools are making it very difficult for them to opt children out of RSE, insisting, for example, that they collect their children for the duration of RSE lessons. Tell that to the thousands of children who opt out of faith formation, but you know, they don't matter. But anyway, but enough about that. So what enough what about re from me and I guess from them too. Although they do go on about LGBT plus books and how they are sexually explicit, which is an absolute trope, as we know. Their undue influence of transgender NGOs, which again I don't know where to get that from, and being silenced at the risk of being called a far right. Personally, if nothing else, I think they need a good editor. 
Anyway, in reaction to the CPSMA letter, Tenney released a statement, and I'll read bits of that, I guess, um, for balance. So here's what they say, and I won't read the whole thing. Trans people exist and trans children exist. There are trans children in Irish primary schools who want to feel as included as every other child, want their lived experience to be shared with their peers, and want to see themselves reflected in the curriculum just like other children do. Silencing and obscuring the experience of trans children does not make those children disappear. It only brings a sense of shame and stigma to children already facing high levels of bullying and social isolation. We cannot, on the one hand, tell children that it's okay to be who you are, and on the other, and on the other hand, tell them we can't teach others about who you are. Um, we see that a lot. I mean, in religious schools when they're teaching about um, religion, you know they say, oh, we absolutely include you, you're included in the day, but then they don't teach about that particular faith. Um, it's, a, it's an analogy, I suppose, in some ways, but let's stick to the trans issue. Children naturally want to learn and understand about all areas of life, so why wouldn't we give them the opportunity to learn about diversity in all its forms? It's a question I would uh, ask absolutely in other um, areas as well, and it's a good argument. All right, we'll continue. Tenny regularly gets calls from principals and teachers in schools of every denomination and every part of Ireland. I myself attended Catholic schools, as did most of the country. Sorry, I'm quoting uh, someone here. The schools I attended put social justice and inclusion at the heart of everything they do. Trans people in Ireland must be part of that open and welcoming society we all wish to create. They are teachers, children, parents and part of our school communities. I know that the views of the CPSMA are not shared by many teachers and principals of schools across the country who I know embrace the trans people in their lives. And that was Simon Blankensy, um, the chair of the board of directors transgender equality network ireland tenny is disappointed by the views of the catholic primary schools management association suggesting that teaching about gender diversity would add to psychological contagion amongst children education does not encourage children to change their gender quite the opposite if a person's identity could be externally externally influenced trans people would not exist traditional binary ideas of sex and gender are still the norm in our societies and violence is directed towards those who fall outside of those the damaging effect of this type of misinformation in further stigmatizing and silencing trans youth cannot be overstated i'll stop there even though there are only a few more paragraphs um so, I don't know. Whatever your thoughts on the CPSMA or the Irish Muslim Council, Tenney or even the Irish Education Alliance, one thing I agree on with all of them is that gender is a complex and sensitive topic, especially with children in the mix. Because it's so complex, I guess what I want to do is explore what is being said about gender, where it's coming from and where do we go from here. I want to figure out what are the fears from people, where are those fears coming from, and whether there really is a gender ideology or an agenda or a vested interest group. In the same way, there were arguments about a gay agenda back in the day. I want to look at some of the research, some of the feedback, and some of the reasoning behind the arguments. I also want to find out what exactly teachers are being asked to do, because ultimately, I don't think we've much to go on. However, the first question I had for these letters, for most of those letters and the responses, was why now? Why are these organisations only coming out with this now in 2023? The debate on gender in schools has been going on well 
before people started making bonfires out of J.K. Rowling books. Now, I was very angry after wasting seven years of my life reading the Harry Potter books too and having to witness that awful ending. I mean, really, as if the last book wasn't bad enough, why would you fast forward to when Harry becomes a dad? Anyway, anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm going away from this. I will not give out about Harry Potter. Jeez, that might make me even more unpopular than, you know, talking about gender. <laughs> anyway, um, back to gender and why on earth would this be the time for the statements? So I decided to check the last time that the NCCA, who organises, um, you know, and, and runs the, you know, designs the curriculum on sex education or RSE, um, when the last time they did a consultation, and I found that it was before 2019, so not that long ago, about three or four years ago, and I decided to look through all of the submissions, and what I found was really interesting. Of all of the 50 plus submissions. Only two of them, this is in 2019, referred to gender ideology. One was an individual teacher, and the other was a group that describes themselves as a movement of Catholic action, promoting, defending, teaching Catholicism. Now, the latter were fairly obsessed mentioning gendered ideology numerous times. And before I read it, you might wonder whether the CPMF, CPSMA submitted to the consultation. And they did, but they didn't mention gender ideology at all. I want to read bits of both of the submissions I refer to because it firstly sets the context and secondly might sound a little bit familiar to 2023. I'll start with the teacher's submission, which was an individual one. Shane Horgan is the teacher in question and he signs himself as a second level teacher in Cork. Now a quick search for him reveals that he has or had political aspirations. Uh, he sought election for AIM2, the political party which is known as, uh, which it's sort of, I suppose, um, is most known for being a pro-life, uh, sort of pro-Catholic, um, let's say, um, political party uh, that kind of came came um, as an offshoot from Sinn Féin um, because AIM2 didn't agree with their stance on abortion rights for women. Uh, so they're sort of Catholic uh, Christian values. Um, there's also a blog post from a pilgrimage that he was on where the author of that post talks about Shane as devout, and he all, um, which is fine. I've no problem with any of this. I'm just saying, you know, when we want to get a context of who someone is, um, I'm not saying that anyway judgmentally, uh, because uh, this man, I have to say, in fairness to him, has a very busy house, 10 children. Uh, yes, he was in the Irish Independent uh, after his, um, he and his wife gave, uh, gave birth to a 10th child. Uh, as I said, I don't say anything things in a judgmental way, but man, I can hardly cope with one child, never mind 10. Fair play to him. Anyway, let's get on to what he was talking about. His opening statement to me is the most interesting one because it's possibly the only one I've actually seen grounded in reality. And when I say reality, I don't mean reality as such. I mean it's grounded in a reality and an honest reality. And that's the reality of religious doctrine. I have absolutely no issues whatsoever with people with religion making arguments on the basis of their religion. I actually went and had a big old search for what does the Bible say about transgender issues, but uh, you could it has every answer you could imagine under the sun depending on who's writing the article, so I didn't think it was that useful. However, Shane um, 
you know, based his arguments on religion, which is which is exactly what it is, rather than science, as uh, the CPSMA tried to do. Um, much of the discourse on gender from those involved in religion uh, com- came to the topic, trying to argue with non-religious arguments, as I said. So, um, you know, I, I, just, I just found the CPSMA and the Irish Muslim Council letters a bit, oh, I'd say pitiful, really, in a way, because... You know, they represent religious religion and they didn't give any dogmatic argument or doctrinal argument, which to me is strange considering that's what they represent. Why wouldn't you use your, the religion you represent to explain why you don't agree with a particular issue, whatever that issue may, like, uh, may be, um, and why are you ashamed possibly to do so or reluctant to? I don't know if you're ashamed or why would you choose not to use your religion to argue a religious matter? So let's get to the honest Shane Horgan, as I'm uh, Shane Hogan, as I'm going to call him. At least he's honest. I may not agree with him. I may not disagree with him. But I may, uh, you know, unlike, I'm unlikely to agree with him on many issues. Uh, but I, tr- I, I respect his his, his honesty. And um, so he starts a submission with the Pope said in 2016. Yes, 2016, folks. Gender ideology, that's the term, as it has come upon us in recent years is very dangerous to our students. In Krakow, with the Polish bishops in July 2016, Pope Francis declared that we are experiencing a moment of the annihilation of man as the image of God. He was clearly outraged that today children, children, are taught in school that everyone can choose his or her sex. And this is terrible. God created man and woman. God created the world in a certain way. And we are doing the exact opposite. Our younger children should be completely protected uh, in school from these dangers. Okay? I grant you there isn't a biblical reference in the argument, but at least... His argument is basically quoting the Pope, which is as close as I found to any direct reference to gender. As I said, I looked up the Bible um, quotes and the closest I ever found was from Genesis, not the bands, the Old Testament, where some people have taken. So God created humankind in his image and the image of God. He created the male and female. He created them, um, which is uh, Genesis chapter one, verse 27. But more on that in a while. The point I'm making here is that the Pope seemed to be talking about trans issues quite some time before everyone was doing the same on Twitter. But his language is similar though, maybe in a more Popey way, if that makes sense. The Lumen Fidei Institute seems to be at odds with the Catholic Church on a number of issues, despite being a Catholic institute themselves. At a recent conference, they held a rosary march, which ended with them presenting their findings to the Bishop's Conference because they felt the Catholic Church's own teachings are not Catholic enough. I want to read you some of what they said in their submission, and again, see if you can recognise some of the language, and I'll sort of um, emphasise some of the things they say. The uncritical acceptance of the LGBTQ plus movement is going to lead to huge problems of our children in our future. Unscientific theories are being promoted as fact. 
For example, there is no scientific evidence to support the existence of transgender people. Once again, this suggests that the government are acting on an, out of an unscientific ideology that has gained prominence in the Western world and has been promoted by vested interests. There are very, there are very dangerous developments occurring in this area, especially in the prescribing of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to prepubescent children, which renders them once again, an unscientific agenda, driven ideology, is being foisted on children, often without the parents' full knowledge of what is going on in state-funded schools. To me, it's quite interesting how the language back then is only starting to be mirrored by the CPSMA, who I remind you did not make any reference to gender ideology in their submission in 2019. Also, remember that of the 50-plus submissions, this and the Hogan submission were the only two mentioning that term. I'm not sure if I'm making any conclusions on that, only that the phrase gender ideology, when it comes to our primary schools, is not, I suppose, as new as this year. Um, it's a, almost a decade old. However, what exactly does gender ideology mean? I've used the term a well, I haven't used it myself, but I've quoted the term quite a bit so far, but I don't really know what it means. It's never used by people that support the teaching of gender in schools. It's only used by people who are against the teaching of gender issues. Why have countries such as Hungary and Russia banned its teaching alongside homosexuality in its schools? And as an aside, it is interesting that Hungary has also banned the teaching about gay rights, which isn't something the CPSMA or Irish Muslim Council have actually called for. But, um, you know, why are these countries banning um, the, uh, anything around gender, uh, gender and calling it gender ideology? To me, the word ideology is deliberate. And in fact, like, it's not just to me. It is deliberate. I, I thought a very quick Google search would give me the answer because, but the thing is, it, I didn't really because the answer is very complex. It seems there's no exact definition for gender ideology. And there is a definition for ideology, of course, but not gender ideology. The term seemed to start being used in the mid 1990s, which isn't that long ago, although I'm oldish, um, but I was certainly around in the mid-1990s. Um, and it seemed to be used, though, for something else, um, generally in reference to women's bodily autonomy rather than what it's been described as today. In fact, it's really only in the last decade that the term seems to have found its root. And it's always used in a disparaging way. And it is most often used to quote the academics Stephanie Meyer and Bridget Sower as an empty signifier, which is a fairly, <laughs> which is fairly critical, and maybe less, uh, probably polite, but uh, critical, and maybe less politely by Agnieszka Graf as a catch-all term for all that conservative Catholics despise, which is pretty direct. It is being described as something that's causing what's known as moral panic. Okay, so what's this moral panic I'm bringing up now? Well, examples of moral panic including, include the fear of communism, 
back in the 1950s in the, in the United States. Uh, some parents fears that pop music was satanic. That was a massive thing in the 80s and 90s, um, 1980s and 1990s. Uh, violence being linked to video games, so all the way up until today, that's still a moral panic right now. And fully enough, uh, going back to the 1840s, which I thought was kind of funny, there was an, actually a moral panic in America because uh, the country was being infiltrated by guess who? Catholics. <sighs> Sorry, I just think that's kind of funny. Um, moral panic seems to play on the fears of people that something really terrible is going to happen. And as a nation that has been through its fair share of moral panics, largely as a result of Catholic Church imposing its, its own ideology, and I use that word ideology deliberately here, but not disparagingly, it's probably fair to say that those with religious values will be at the root of being against something. They will call it an ideology. In some ways, I can absolutely understand that. If one believes in a particular faith system, it's a form of ideology. A man-made or a god-made in, in their, in their um, view, but uh, you know, I think most people uh, critically saying will say that most religions are man-made. Um, a man-made set of values um, in the same way there are other ideologies out there. Um, and there are loads of ideologies out there um, which have uh, sets of values. Human rights is an ideology, democracy, communism, stoicism, uh, which is probably more a philosophy, I suppose, than an idealism, but probably an ideology, as well as sexism, racism, Nazism, and so on. Anything ism um, is generally an ideology. And there's loads of theories out there on the term ideology, but gender ideology is definitely one of the newer ones and has definitely been invented to cause moral panic, in my view, from the looks of things. And that's not to say moral panic is a bad thing. I mean, think about today's issues. Technology usage, for example, and screen time, you know, it is it, that is a moral panic. If you remember before the pandemic, uh, there were campaigns from the newspapers saying that children have too much screen time. We must ban screens from children and so on because what will happen? Now, the thing is, they may very well be right um, and we don't know. And this is one of the things um, about um, current moral panics because we don't know what happened in the end. We know what happened with communism, uh, you know, in the 1950s in America, the, the moral panic there, um, you know, it, well, I'd like to think it was it's over um, and we realise it wasn't a, a thing or we, I'd like to think pop music isn't actually satanic. Um, you know, these kind of things, once they, once these moral panics end and we see reason or we see the results of things, we kind of know what happens. So we don't really know what the impact of technology on very small children is. Um, and, you know, it may turn out that in 50 years time, we'll look at images of babies in pushchairs, uh, you know, with the device in front of them and laugh at the irresponsibility in much the same way we look at people in history doing blackface, for example. Um, you know, all of that being said, of course, I think it is fair to call the term gender ideology a moral panic. But what exactly is the fear? Many of the responses to my tweet were extremely aggressive. I mean, I was called every name under the sun from freak show to bigot. But most interestingly to me were the hordes of people that seemed to have countless images of teenagers who were going, what, uh, who were after going through some sort of gender reassignment, whether that was mastectomies or whether that was YouTube videos uh, of um, young people who detransitioned and they were taking their respective governments to court. Now I don't want to undermine these images or videos in any way, but I wonder why these people have them so close to hand on their computers. 
But anyway, let's, I think we need to talk some facts. And really, at the end of the day, that's all we have to go on. So let's talk about gender dysphoria and let's talk about the facts. Um, according to most sources that I found, gender dysphoria has been around, well, as early as man and woman have been around or in everything in between. Basically, um, there's records from the second century of gender dysphoria, but the first ever gender surgery didn't occur until the 20th century in the 1920s. And um, it, it, there was a kind of an interesting kind of story. I, I, I haven't, I'm going off script a little bit because I didn't include it, but I, I kind of found it interesting that in the 1930s, one of the top institutions on exploring gender was in Berlin. And um, interestingly, the Nazi party um, sh- sh- closed it down and destroyed a lot of the records and so on. And, and, and a lot of the research that, was, that had been made on gender, um, which is interesting. I, I mention it. I, I suppose I, I left it out of the script because when you say something about Nazism, you know, there's an inference that I'm claiming the people who are against gender, you know, who are against this gender thing are Nazis. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but, you know, it's, it, as I said, it was interesting uh, how that stopped in the 1930s. Um, moving on, though, uh, to much more recent research, Oxford University has done recent research about rates, rates of regret of people who transitioned. Um, and funnily enough, and I, I think this is interesting research, so the amount of people that have regretted transitioning um, up to 10 years uh, later is for trans women 0.6% and for trans men 0.3%. So a very, very tiny minority of people who do transition end up regretting it. Now, obviously that figure should be as close to zero as possible um, but it's very interesting that it couldn't be much closer to zero. Statistics on the number of transgender people widely vary but it's generally agreed to be less than one percent of the worldwide population. We only have one country that has any official record that I could find anyway and that was Canada where the rate of people identifying as trans or non-binary was 0.33 percent. So a tiny, tiny number of people indeed. However, I think I could give you every statistic under the sun about gender dysphoria, but where the moral panic seems to be isn't with adults. Though that certainly exists, and usually it exists when people are talking about women's toilets for some reason. Uh, But that's for another day and not something of my business particularly. But there is a perception that we as a liberal society, which we kind of technically still are for the moment, are promoting gender affirmation. Again, something, you know, that isn't easily defined. I mean, essentially what I can see is that there's a sense that people believe there is a rush to pathologize and diagnose gender dysphoria far too quickly and therefore permanently physically damage young people. As I said, I received a number of videos and images of young people who detransitioned from opponents of the gen- this gender ideology, as they call it. However, there's a more subtle argument that if we teach children about gender, we sow the seeds of doubt about their own identities. Now, most schools have been teaching about identity for many, many years, so I don't really buy that argument, but it's a very effective argument if you don't think about it too much. The adage of let kids be kids and keep them innocent can sound very, very plausible, depending on who you're talking to. But if I can be judgmental for a sentence or two, and I have tried to be non-judgmental, I think that extreme arguments 
don't work. The Irish Education Alliance, I believe, is guilty of this, as you probably could tell from what I said. They talk about these topics claiming that children are being sexualized. And while there's no doubt that the world has become more sexualized and possibly vulgar to a point, and I, I mean, it, do, it doesn't take much research to find that, switch on any music video station and uh, on TV and try and find three songs in a row where there isn't a swear word bleeped out if it's during the day or at least a swear word somewhere or there isn't some form of music video where someone is simulating sex uh, through a dance movement. I mean the, the world is getting quite sexualized and young people are watching their pop music and listening to words uh, which you know certainly 10 even 10, 15 20 years ago wouldn't have been acceptable. It's probably fair to say that if we're going to bringing sexualization into things, we can't ignore that and just focus and, and say that any any book which mentions um, LGBT plus issues is sexualized. Because number one, um, it that isn't the case. Um, and number two, even if it was, which it isn't, <laughs> you know, ignoring the fact that the world's become sexualized is... Um, I think a bit hypocritical. Now, I'm not saying that to be prudish, um, and quite the opposite. We're also living in a world where children are being influenced by the likes of, you know, Andrew Tate and others like him, which is which is worrying as well because it brings in the whole idea of the question of masculinity and what does that mean. And again, for bringing extremes into our examples, we have to accept it can't be one-sided. We can't ignore some of the other things that are happening outside of the world of, of gender. Um, you know, if that makes sense. And sharing graphic images of young people as a reason not to teach about gender in schools. I don't know, it's like me showing blurred lines as an example why we shouldn't allow children to listen to any music. We need to be measured in our arguments and we need to stick to facts. So let's explore what is actually happening in schools and the wider world. From what I can see, much of the focus is on a publication called Busybodies, which I mentioned before and was it is designed by the HSE. It's a resource that can be used in schools, but isn't on our curriculum. An earlier iteration of it was fairly mainstream in primary schools. It was taught, it was used in most primary schools before it became, I suppose, a little old-fashioned. And if I remember correctly, there was a massive recall on all their CD DVDs um, that came with their program. Um, and I, I actually don't know what it was, uh, why they recalled them, but rumor has it there was inappropriate material on it um, that had nothing to do with, you know, today's argument. I think someone had uploaded a video or something like that that, yeah, wasn't really for children, put it that way. Ultimately, anyway, I don't know what, what it was, but that's the rumor. Anyway, ultimately the, the new booklet, is, uh, or sorry, the old booklet went out of favor. So this new booklet is an update. And what people seem to be most upset about is two pages. And they're the two pages on gender. The booklet is generally aimed at parents and carers, but in the introduction, it does state that, that teachers are welcome to use the resource in tandem with the RSE program. The booklet is aimed at 5th and 6th class children, so to put that into context, that's children around the ages of 11 to 13. Now, I can't find anything on the curriculum or in any other publications that discusses gender with young children. The first sentence, though, of these two pages states, we all have a gender identity. Now, these six little words are the root of a lot of the problem. Many people I've spoken to do not believe we have a gender identity. We simply are male or female. To be honest, to me, 
They are both gender identities insofar as when I describe my identity to anyone, I will list being male as part of my identity in the same way as I list other aspects of my identity. I am whitish skinned. I am an atheist. I am not politically affiliated. I am shy. I am liberal in my views. I am reluctantly middle class and so on. Some of these identities are physical and some of those are actually ideological. However, and it's just me, they appear to be identities. I've probably not listed hundreds of things that others might feel are an identity. For example, you know, I didn't when I was listing my, my identities. They might wonder, why did I not use gendered pronouns after my name? Um, why don't I have gendered pronouns after my name on social media profile or any of my other profiles? I'm not saying that I ever won't do that, but I'm not convinced by the argument that it is something I should do. I don't see much of a difference between that and adding Mr. before my name, which I never do either. It's interesting to me that people find it weird to be called Mr. or Miss or Mrs. but think nothing of adding gender pronouns to the name. That doesn't mean I'm against people using gender pronouns, they just aren't for me right now. Um, in the same way, I don't add other aspects of my identity after my name. Imagine Simon Lewis, ex-Jew, or something like that. I also understand why some people may feel um, that, um, I suppose, they might feel that if they'd see pronouns after a name, that this is sort of a, an unsaid code that this person is safe to me. But again, I don't really buy into that right now. As I said, all of this is much more complica complicated and more complex than one side versus the other. As And as I said, perhaps in time I will be convinced one way or the other and I may listen back to this recording and cringe at my reasoning that I've just given. Um, maybe, maybe it's a bad idea for me to be podcasting um, my thoughts because I probably will look back in a few years' time and go, oh my God, what was I saying? But... That is the beauty of putting yourself out there. However, I should get back to the busybodies booklet as I only ever as I only actually got through the first six words. And because it's so short, I feel it's no harm to read everything the booklet has to say about gender identity. So here we go. Gender identity is how we think of ourselves as a boy, a girl, neither or both. This feeling of who we are starts when we are little and becomes more obvious as we go through adolescence. Traditionally, our society has put everyone into two gender categories, boys or men, and girls or women. When a baby is born, the new baby is initially identified as a boy if it has a penis and as a girl if it has a vulva. This is what's known as the biological sex of the baby. Most people born with a penis feel and know they are a boy, and most people born with a vulva feel and know that they are a girl. These feelings, interests and beliefs all make up what is called your gender. Now I'll pause here because we can see that fundamental to this page is the separation between biological sex and gender. Now this is something many people appear to be unhappy about. I'll continue. When people have strong ideas about how boys and girls should behave based on their gender, this is called gender stereotyping. This can upset people and can prevent them from behaving in the way they want to. For example, many children like to dress and behave in non-traditional ways, but still see themselves as being a boy or a girl, the gender they were given at birth. So I, I don't think there's anything controversial in any of that, and we've been challenging gender stereotypes for years. And that's, that's a good thing, right? I think so. Let's continue. 
However, a small number of people may not feel what they are called at birth, a boy or a girl really fits them, and they may want to explore their gender identity to find out what is right for them. If a person has a deep sense that their gender identity is different from the gender they were given at birth, they may describe themselves as transgender. Some people who are transgender may want to live their lives as boys, some as girls, some somewhere in between, and some as no gender at all. If you have questions about your gender identity, puberty can be a particularly confusing time. Your body may be changing in ways that don't match the sense of yourself. Remember, it's great that you're starting to understand your own body and your own feelings. Take your time. There is no need for you to be under pressure to make decisions about this. If you're questioning your gender identity, talk to a trusted adult in your life, including your parents, wider family and teachers. They will be able to find you the right information and support and give you all the reassurance and love you need. Now, I think this is where sowing the seeds of doubt argument stems from. I'm not sure I'm convinced that this is harmful information in any way. And I don't think it could be argued that it's extreme in any way, shape or form. I don't see that as extreme. The advice to me appears good. Tell your parents or a trusted adult. Don't make any decisions. You've loads of time. And hiding this information from children, are we merely making things worse for them in the way we always argue that early intervention is the best solution for every issue? I can't answer that question. I'm only asking it. Exploring gender is not something new. Some people argue that the number of referrals for gender dysphoria has skyrocketed in the last decade, and they blame discussions about gender on this increase, stating that it has become an ideology. Others will argue that because we have a history of shaming people that went against the grain or against the norm, whether that was their sexuality or their gender identity, did people simply keep their identity a secret? Now, I'm no expert, so I can't really say. However, one thing I can say is that because gender is fused with identity, this sort of debate is extremely emotive. We see this in loads of other areas and how it's easy to polarise people when we bring identity into the argument. And it gets even more emotive when we add children into the equation. For example, the Irish Education Alliance ran a really successful campaign against face masks in school during COVID-19. They managed to harness the unhappiness people had, what people were feeling about being forced to wear masks during the pandemic. And then they harnessed that unhappiness into anger by telling people that the government were forcing children to wear masks and they had all sorts of reasons why the mask was damaging to a child. Now, the reality was that the mask was just that a mask. You see, we all suffered psychologically, I'm sure, from COVID-19. The mask simply became a symbol for that suffering. Now, I'm only asking the question as to whether we're doing the same thing here when it comes to gender. Do we have a new mask? Are people being convinced that gov the government is trying to sterilise large parts of the population through gender reassignment? Are people being convinced that gender ideology is a de facto religion now created by the liberal loony left who have no morals and are seeking to create a new religious view of the world? Are teachers being asked to teach pornography to four-year-olds? I think these are the exact extreme questions and actions and things that are being spread by some of these people that are both unhelpful, well, Maybe it's helpful, depending on one's viewpoint, if you're trying to convince people.
I think we have to filter through this extreme reaction, through the aggression, through the emotion, and tread cautiously. We can't disregard each other's arguments. When the Tavistock Centre story is unveiled by people who are against the teaching of gender issues in Ireland, we can't ignore that story. When Sweden, one of the most liberal countries in the world and one of the first countries to legalise gender rights, has decided to no longer treat young people, we can't ignore that either. So I decided I wouldn't ignore those stories. I don't have a lot of time to get into them, but I was relieved to see that the reactions I read were not extreme in nature. Let's start with the Tavistock Centre. If you haven't heard, it's an independent report was commissioned by Britain's National Health Service, and it found that the type of care provided at Tavistock was, quote, not safe or viable as a long-term option for the care of young people with gender-related distress. It also found that the centre had not used customary control measures that are typically in place when new treatments are introduced, nor had the centre collected consistent data on its patients and treatments. Now, I'm, that, that's just a quote from um, the BBC report. So I decided to read that report because the language sounded kind of extreme-ish in that news report. Um, so it's called the CAS review. Um, and I found actually when I read the review, it was pretty balanced, to be honest. It was certainly much less aggressive. And the review started with a letter from Dr. Hilary Cass. And it was written, not to adults, but to young people. And in other words, the report starts with the most important people, the people who are affected. And she explained her rationale, saying, I have heard that young service users are particularly worried that I will suggest that services should be reduced or stopped. I want to assure you that this is absolutely not the case. The reverse is true. I think that more services are needed for you, closer to where you live. Um, I'll link um, that a full report uh, to the show notes. Now, in no way does it appear that the doctor believes that the children she's speaking to have been duped into some sort of strange ideology. She simply says that more needs to be done before any permanent measures are taken. And reading more into this Tavistock Centre, it appears to my eyes, and I'd like to see myself as unbiased here, that a culture emerged over time, or as the Financial Times article uh, put it, how a well-meaning institution went awry. The Swedish experience is also worth mentioning, and I found some good articles on the rationale behind the decision for Sweden to suspend treatments to minors. They follow really the same line of argument as the CAS review, and more time is needed to ensure that the right supports are put in place for minors just in case there is another underlying issue that is causing gender dysphoria. The article I read, as far as I could find, seemed very balanced, and again, I'll share that in the notes. We're always learning more and more about human physiology, and sometimes there are new reasons for medical issues. If you think back to your own school days and how children with dyslexia used to be treated, if you're younger than me, maybe think about how autistic children in your class were treated before um, autism became more mainstream. And a few years ago, you know, no matter how long you're teaching, we're we were all a bit cynical about this a thing called PDA, and now it's kind of part and parcel of many school experiences, as difficult as it might be to deal with. Is it completely off the wall to ask whether someone's gender dysphoria is rooted somewhere else other than in gender dysphoria? Clearly, in most cases, it's not. 
However, is it something we can afford to get wrong? The problem, however, is that none of these questions are being asked in the safety of medical research, which is where these kind of questions should be asked. It's been played out in politics and it's been played out on social media and none of it is very helpful because it's, it's creating this culture war that's emerging. On one side is the so-called loony liberal left and on the other side is the so-called hard right conservatives. And it's against the rules to be somewhere in the middle on any issue. You have to be on the left or on the right according to these unwritten rules. And I don't know what the rules are exactly, but they seem to follow the lines along the lines that if you are on the loony left, you believe vaccines are good, you believe wearing a mask is good, you believe air filtration is good, you believe there is no LGBT plus agenda, people are just people, you don't believe governments of the world are conspiring against us, Oh, and you're probably also an atheist, and better yet, you're anti-Christian, probably an anti-Christian bigot. Now, obviously, I don't believe any of that. If you're on the other side, you can reverse all those arguments anyway. It's interesting to see that in almost all cases, you can divide politics into these two camps, even though most of the issues aren't linked. I've no idea how transgender issues and mask wearing have any connection, but the polarised politics of today uh, rule that this just must be. Which, if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm inclined to think the CPSMA released their statements to mark themselves in this emerging culture war. In their case, their entire survival, uh, the CPSMA's entire survival, depends on having a strong Catholic presence in the education system. They are on record as saying it's their main mission, which is fair enough given they're the CPSMA. Um, and I'm not saying that to be critical. I'm just saying that because that's what they've said they're there for. And to deny that would be like AIM2 claiming they supported pro-choice charities. I mean, AIM2 only really exists because they differ from Sinn Féin on their abortion rights stance. CPSMA only exists when there are Catholic schools. So people aren't stupid. The current culture war of Christian values versus secular values is not something any of us can deny is happening, despite neither sector being able to claim any uniqueness in their values. I would argue that Christian values and secular values are 95% similar, but it has been decreed by somebody somewhere that they are in direct opposition to each other. The CPSMA, whether they meant to or not, have added fuel to this polarisation with their letter. With the threat of Catholic schools being reconfigured to multi-denominational or secular schools, as they might call them, 400 within seven years, if you should believe the hype, and with the rising issues with that process, as we've seen in Malachi and Rahini, with the fear-mongering, the chief weapon, that making their colour, like marking their colours to the mast right now, just can't be a coincidence. The NCCA have haven't released a draft curriculum, they haven't even had a consultation, and it also appears that the CPSMA statement wasn't even discussed with their members in any way, which adds another layer to the story. What really was the reason for their statement? Perhaps we'll never find out, but I'm going to take, I'm going to have to take a leaf from my own book and try not to make any conclusions. I'll simply keep the question open. So what next? Well, the NCCA seem to have two years to figure it all out, and I'm very glad I'm not tasked with that job. However, given the title of this podcast, I don't really think I can chicken out, because ultimately, if I were the Minister for Education, 
I would have to support this new curriculum and answer questions about it. So that's what I'm going to have to do. So if I were the Minister for Education, I guess this is what I'd do. I would make sure that I'd be listening, really listening. I'd be asking people what they think the RSE curriculum should look like. I would be making draft after draft after draft above this curriculum. I'd be doing nothing until there was a reasonable amount of consensus on what the curriculum should look like. And having said all that though, when it comes to RSE, even now, I don't think there's any point of doing that, really, until we remove religious influence from schools. Right now, things are way too hot. I'm even hearing people saying that gender ideology is a new religion, which is not, which is not only baffling, but it's being believed. A cultural religion is being created. It seems that after decades of religious organisations being under pressure to renounce the religious dogma and control of schools, they have now found a new way to call human rights a religion too. It is something concrete they can pick on, and I say that again without derogatory judgment. I'd probably do the same. Introducing gender... <coughs> Excuse me, introducing gender discussion into schools would fail even if it is the right thing to do. I don't think I've even touched the surface of where I believe things are at. I absolutely believe there is a moral panic and one can't deal with moral panics simply by steamrolling through them. I'm also very worried about how this issue is being joined up with the emerging culture war between the so-called left and so-called right, as I've mentioned. And given the CPSMA statement, I'm also worried that this is trying to pit Catholic schools against multi-denominational schools, which I have seen firsthand from the reaction to my tweet. Just for example, several of them refer to me uh, to me working in Educate Together School as they perceived what I believe based on the fact that I work in Educate Together. For me, all we've left is dialogue because that is something that's infinite. There is a lot of talking at each other and very listening and very little listening going on. And being honest, it's kind of taken me months to decide whether or not to cover this issue. But I've definitely come to a conclusion that the only answer to this issue is that we need to talk with each other and we need to listen to each other and we need to understand each other and we need to do all of that before we act. Burning books and propaganda has to remain in a different era and it's awful to see both of these things back. We have to try and avoid a return to that at all costs. So if I were the Minister for Education, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be saying we need to talk and talk and talk, and talk about gender. So there you have it, um, an hour of my thoughts on this uh, gender debate that's going on. I'm not really sure, um, you know, where we're going with this. It's awful it's been kind of turned into this massive shouting match uh, because I think there are people out there that have genuine worries. I think we have people out there that uh, on, on both sides of the argument, uh, and I'm not talking about extremes here, I'm talking about very sensible people who are, you know, people who are going through um, gender dysphoria and at a very young age and uh, are being prevented 
from getting the supports they need. We also have people who are very genuinely worried about um, I mean, spreading a message about uh, different genders. They don't believe that that's the, the case and they have lots of reasons um, for that. Um, and I think, I mean, essentially, we have to listen to everybody. I mean, we need to listen to the trans voice, of course, in this, because these are the people that are affected. Um, I always found, I remember, during the marriage equality, um, the, the most important voices were the voices of the people affected by the ban on uh, marriage between uh, two people of the same sex, um, but also their families and how it affected their families and all those stories, much in the same way as we listen to women's stories uh, during the abortion referendum when we need to listen to the women instead of judging them. So I think we need to talk and listen to uh, people who um, who are trans and uh, their stories and find out uh, what it is they would have liked to have happened when they were in school um, because I think that's an important part of the story. So listen, that's all I have to say on the matter. I think uh, it's an, it's probably a subject we might, might come back to again because I think I'm I'm very much in the in, in my own infancy in exploring the area of gender. Um, I, I I hope I've come across uh, balanced in in my views. I didn't want to be disparaging to anybody really in in this podcast because, as I said, we're 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 going through a really I suppose emotive time and I wanted to take the emotion out of it as much as possible um, though I'm not sure I really succeeded fully in that so listen I'll leave it at that thanks so much for listening if you've enjoyed this please review the podcast on your favourite podcasting app and I look forward to talking to you next time all the best bye bye <laughs>